This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Man, Paul, how's daylight savings affecting your life? I think we're back on standard time. I don't mind it. I think a lot of people say it's bad for us, but I like getting that extra hour in the fall. I woke up normal time, but it was so much brighter. I actually went for a run in the morning and it was like completely light out, which I like. But it does get dark early. But I'm a morning person, so I'll take that daylight earlier. I do like waking up earlier and there being light. I mean, look, there's always something a bit of a bummer about getting dark before six o'clock. But it's only what, for six weeks, six and a half weeks this happens? I think it's more than that. Is it? Okay. I think it's like six months. Oh, oh, maybe, maybe I'm <laughs> sorry, sorry. Maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> Okay, maybe it's six and a half months. Okay, that's what maybe I read it wrong. I'm like, six and a half weeks, that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like November to March. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, everyone, it's December. We're springing forward again. <laughs> okay, I didn't really think it through. Now that yeah. I think that, yeah, <laughs> December is only like, <laughs> mid-December is like six, six and a half weeks away. That's pretty funny. Yeah, six and a half months, that's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, but apparently next time we do it, it will be the last time. It's just going to be permanent daylight saving. If the Senate has their way, that is. Oh, I see. So, yeah, big week politically. We got the midterms this week. Um, Mesh and I, this is not a political podcast, so we're going to steer clear of that one. And I want to wish a very special happy birthday to my lovely, brilliant wife, Jessica. You know, otherwise I would get... Murdered, probably. No, I'm just kidding. Happy birthday, Jess. That's awesome. Happy birthday, Jess. And, you know, our very talented social media manager. Can't wait to celebrate with you. How lovely, Paul. That is a lovely, lovely statement to make. And, uh, hey, you know. Scorpio season. Scorpio season, which is also, right now we're getting into big movie season, or at least uh, right before Thanksgiving break. We've got Black Panther 2 coming out, which kind of snuck up on me, by the way. I've been waiting for it, but... I was kind of sitting there and I was like, wait, is there a new movie coming out next week? But it's, yes, this Friday is the opening of Black Panther 2, November 11th, which is obviously one of the most anticipated Marvel movies 
ever, I would say. I mean, let's see how it does in the box office. But the trailer looks amazing. We'll see how it turns out. But it really opens up a whole new phase for the MCU. Obviously, there's a lot of plot lines that need to be figured out with the uh, unfortunate passing of, of Chadwick Boseman. So we'll see how that turns out. And then we got Avatar coming out soon after that. Avatar's more like year-end, like Christmas season. Yeah, but it's like Black Panther 2 will probably take up a few weeks going into Thanksgiving holidays, you know, people watching it. Yeah, it's like Black Panther 2, then a lot of the Oscar contenders, I think the Fablemans, yeah. the Whale, supposed to be really good, Bones and all, which I saw. Mesh, let me ask you, I'm very excited about Black Panther 2 as well. I think trying to replace or carry franchise forward without Chadwick is going to be a challenge, but I'm very stoked for this and, you know, very powerful female black cast and Namor's debuting. So I'm sure it'll be good. But let me ask you, what's your thoughts on horror as a genre? I don't like horror movies. I appreciate that people like horror movies because it feels like they're going on a roller coaster. They like to get a thrill. Like the extent of my horror watching is like a scream type movie. So like a light slasher flick. Scream, I'd say, is more suspense than horror. That's true. But sure. It's like a thriller. It's, right. it's more of a thriller with like a little bit of like slash and gore. But I don't like horror movies. I did watch It as a kid and Village of the Damned and those things just <laughs> to this day haunted me. The, the last horror movie I did watch was the remake of it, which I appreciated, by the way. I, I thought it was good. But, you know, horror movies just continuously do well. I think they do well as a genre. People clearly like to see them for the most part. So the thing with horror is, you're right, they do well. They don't cost a ton to make generally. I don't want to say, you know, you have a, a formula, but like the budgets can be pretty low. The floor is also pretty high in terms of box office performance. Like, you know, the Saw franchises, you know, they consistently, it's kind of the same movie, but they make like whatever, 50 to 60 million every time. So horror, in terms of genre, if, if looking at films from like an investment perspective, horror tends to be one of the leading categories because it's more of a safe bet than something that's going to take a huge special effects budget. You don't usually need a ton of big stars for horror movies. But I, I'm with you. I don't particularly like horror as a genre. You know, I don't have the stomach for it, but I know that people you know love them, swear by them. So there is a little movie that is certainly punching above its weight in terms of box office. That's Terrifier 2, which was a micro-budget film funded on Indiegogo for $250,000. It's crossed, I think, $10 million in box office this weekend and had a very narrow release. It started out with like 866 screens. It's now you know hovering around 1,000. It was at 700 for a while. So that means to be doing $10 million at that level of screens, and it doesn't have very many showtimes per day, means like each theater is basically sold out. Yeah. Um, and people really like it. It has an 88 on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I just watched the trailer prepping for the episode <laughs> and like, I don't think I'll be seeing it anytime soon. Uh, I don't know about you. I didn't watch the trailer. I was reading about it and I was looking at photos uh, without spoiling anything. It's basically a, a clown that is taking revenge on a town uh, in the sequel. I don't like scary clowns. I don't like clowns. I don't like dolls. And so this is, it's like a happy murder clown as they describe it. And I think he's mute. <laughs> and he's, it's like very, very violent. I don't mind the violence thing, but it's very violent. People are apparently throwing up, like leaving the theaters, <laughs> like fainting. Oh, it's, it's really 
creating these visceral reactions in the audience. And that's why people seem to be raving about it and like saying, oh my God, like this movie really like affected me. And it has Lauren Levera, who's actually, I think she's in Iron Fist. She's in a Marvel property as well. And David Howard Thornton is the clown. It's a Damien Leone film. It's actually a sequel. Terrifier 1 only made $2,500. No way. Yeah, I guess it had potential. And that's why people wanted to fund Indiegogo. But it's really interesting. It's like they did the capital raise and they said, hey, we'll give you thank you credits. Or, you know, maybe you have a chance to be killed in one of the scenes or whatever. So, like, people funded it. And I think they exceeded their $250,000 goal. I mean, that's great that it's, you know, making $10 million on a $250,000 spend. Obviously, they didn't spend a ton on marketing or promotion. It's all really word of mouth. So good for that little film. As opposed to some other movies like Black Adam um, and some of the other ones in the theater right now, this is continuously going up every weekend versus like seeing the dip post-opening. So the typical performance curve for a movie is like you have a big opening weekend, then you have like a 50 to 60% decline all the way through for the next like however many weeks it's in there. It like declines 50 to 60% per week. Some movies will decline at a slower clip, like Avatar 1 and Top Gun Maverick. But generally speaking, there's always a drop after the first weekend, but not the case with Terrifier 2. If I'm one of the fans who donated to the Indiegogo, and this is kind of where I have a, look, I get it. You can get a thank you credit. You're being in the movie, you get killed or something. It's worth like, what, maybe you invested like 100 bucks or 200 bucks. But if you invested, like, I've got to imagine that if you are now seeing that this movie's made $10 million, wouldn't you want to return on your money? Like you help put this together? I'm like, I wonder how much of that were big chunks of people putting money into the movie. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was like very micro-based, but um, wouldn't you want to be an investor in a movie like this then? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think when you see a movie being made for 250 k I think you're probably not expecting it to crack 40x return. I think people are investing because they're like fans of the genre and they like, Damien Leone, and hey, they get their name in the credits. That's cool. I mean, but any upside is just gravy. I know there's been a few like this, but when when I was in high school, it was Blair Witch Project, and, and yes. that was like the whoa, never we've never seen anything yet. It was like never seen anything like this before. I remember I would visit the U.S. during the summer, and like there's just a line out the door of people wanting to see this movie. But yeah, I mean, like to your point, the horror movies do really well, and. This one, clearly, I, I was reading about how they want to call it a mega slasher flick because it's like super, super gory. So it's like splatter meets mega slasher. I'm not seeing it, but yeah. good props to the props to the folks who made it. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe one of the other things is like, I think the audience can see that this is art and like not to take it seriously, but I do wonder if it desensitizes people to violence. I'm not, you know, 100% sure, but that's a question that I have. And I think we can talk about that after the break because our next topic is another hip hop star gone far too soon. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Mesh, last week, super sad occurrence, takeoff, one of the trio of Migos. Migos, I guess they recently broke up. He had started a duo with his uncle, Quavo. His name is Kari Ball, also known as Rocket Man. And he was murdered in Houston November 1st, shot outside 810 Billiards and Bowling in downtown Houston at like 2.30 in the morning. Apparently, he was just... There was a party, the 40 or so people there. He was there with his uncle Quavo. There was an argument, shots were fired. He was hit in the head, torso, uh, pronounced dead, I think shortly thereafter. I mean, it's so sad. Apparently, he was a nonviolent, like chill guy and only 28 years old, you know, multimillionaire, such a bright future. Made a you know huge impact on the hip hop scene. You know, Migos with their debut Versace in 2013 and then Obviously, Bad and Bougie 2016. They had their own style. It was like the ad lib style. First two albums go number one. They have three albums that have done really well. Four top tens. So apparently it was a private party, but this was at the end of the party, and there was like a group of people that were just hanging outside the venue, and that's kind of where things went wrong. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, it's an epidemic of gun violence, especially in you know urban communities, but it's really everywhere. And the list of rappers that have been killed, right? It's like, you know, Juice World. I guess that's not the same because he overdosed. But you know, Nipsey Hussle, uh, Tupac, Biggie, Pop Smoke, PNB Rock, Slim Four Hundred, Draco the Ruler, seven prominent rap artists in twenty twenty two. Wow. So in twenty twenty two, I read that it's been seven artists that have passed, you know, due to homicide, they haven't found this person yet that was involved in this. But it's interesting because you said something about like, you know, we were talking about is violence on on film and TV? Is that a part of this? You know, I wouldn't say we've always had violence on TV and film, especially like horror movies and stuff. Like there's been violence forever on film and TV and, and it doesn't seem to be going away. I think, I'm not sure that has anything to do with it. I think that, well, one, you know, gun control is definitely one of them if you have access to weapons. But Takeoff actually said in an interview that it's more to do with social media. He said in an interview that you have to be careful what you post on social media. Quote, you got to watch what you post because even though you're just trying to show off and show your fans stuff, it's people that follow you and watch you that have bad intentions and don't want the best for you. They're not looking at your page and they see you every day. You know, he kept going on about that where he says he'll normally post something, but he'll never post like a live location. It's usually like a day or two later because he's always worried about some of these people that come out and, you know, want to pick a fight or start some stuff. And that's really interesting. There's two incidents where that happened that I can think of. Pop Smoke posted like at his Airbnb in Hollywood. He's a Brooklyn rapper, but he posted where he was in West Hollywood, like at a rental house and someone came and murdered him. And then PNB Rock was with a group of people at Roscoe's and one person in his circle just posted that they were at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles and someone came, 
robbed and murdered him in broad daylight. So absolutely. I mean, the fact that that's even a threat or a risk that people have to consider is really, I think, depressing to me because it's like if you share where your location is, obviously, you know, it's no secret that these guys are walking around with like hundreds of thousands of dollars of jewelry. Often they have a lot of cash. They have fancy cars. They are targets for robbery or burglary, and why post your location? Yeah, but I think you should be able to wear whatever you want and not feel like you're going to get robbed. Now, I guess, like, look, it's a, one could say, you know, one person's asking for this, but I think in this case, like, if you're trying to live a private life and you're you're wearing this thing because, you know, it's part of your gear and, and you love it. I mean, same could be said about why does someone wear, like, a $10,000 Rolex, right? If you walk around town and you see some success and anyone's wearing a Rolex, let's assume that's a few grand and then it obviously goes up from there. One could say that about like a Birkin bag or any one of these bags that are being bought these days or a pair of off-white dunks. Yeah, I'm not saying people shouldn't like feel comfortable if they're successful and they want to, you know, display it, flaunt it, have like a high-value possession as a symbol of their success, like fancy car or watch or whatever. I mean, I get it, but we live in a world where that makes you a target. Totally. And I think what he's saying is that he's not trying to post that stuff. You know, you're just trying to show off to your fans and stuff, he says, but people watch you with bad intentions. I mean, clearly he was thinking about this a lot. And in this case, he was at a private party where the party had ended and people came to the event. But yes, to your, there is a lot of people that when they get some money, they're posting right away and they are throwing that in your face. And like we don't see a lot of the security detail that probably goes on with a lot of these folks on the side. No, we don't. I mean, if you're just getting food at like a restaurant, you're not going to have a group of security guards generally. And I rem- I saw Migos and Drake when they toured in 2018 at Madison Square Garden. And like, I was really excited to see Migos. Obviously, Drake <laughs> held it down and he was awesome. But Migos was so high energy. I mean, they really like They had a significant impact on culture, you know, that whole Atlanta scene. And from the mid 2015, 14, 15, 16, they were they were everywhere. And, you know, I know they broke up offset, went and did his own thing. And, you know, who knows? But like I said, he had such a bright future. And he also kind of predicted it on Drink Champs like a month ago when he said, I want my flowers when I'm alive, not when I'm gone. Right. Like, so it's just it was a very prophetic statement and super sad that he had to pass away. That he was murdered. Yeah, and they haven't caught the person yet. No. I I mean, I don't think they even have any leads. They're asking. And this is downtown Houston. This was, like, not that far from, like, a Four Seasons. It wasn't, you know, it was an area that would otherwise be considered, you know, gentrified. Yeah, super bummer, man. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, now now you say, like, maybe it's not horror movies and stuff, but, like, what is the, you know, what do you get from from shooting and killing like a rap artist. Like I remember what it was like back in in the days of when Tupac and Biggie and stuff, it was a little bit more of a- Well, that was like beef between the labels, right? Like- Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is just like, dude, an individual you had an argument with? Yeah, not cool. This is just senseless violence. And I, I mean, the, the Pac and Biggie thing was super tragic and I'm not saying it was justified or it made any sense. I mean, looking back, it was just as senseless as, as this, but- it was almost like it made the music more real, it seemed. I don't know. The beef carrying over from the songs into real life, the whole thing. I mean, I wish Pac and Biggie were still alive. I mean, they would be crushing it now, you know? Yeah. I mean, people still listen to the music on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, hopefully this dude gets caught or whoever it was gets caught because two other people were also injured in that shooting, but that's terrible. And the fact that, like, 
people are recording stuff all the time. I didn't know what I was watching at the time. I was watching the, the, the TikTok and then it was just like, you couldn't really get a clear picture of what happened. You just heard like shot, 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 and everyone just you know ran away. Yeah, there's some TMZ footage from it, but it it's hard to see really what's happening or who the shooter is. Rest in paradise. Take off. Let's take a quick break and we'll get back with some sports stuff. So Mesh, final topic. On a much lighter note, we're talking about some sports deals. Again, seems like it's a common topic on Better Call Paul. The reason we're bringing it up now, and there's two deals that are sort of percolating. One, the NBA is announcing that they are entering into streaming, right? They're thinking about having a package of 20 to 40 games that would be exclusive to a streaming partner like an Apple Amazon, Google, think about like maybe a YouTube free to access product or maybe as Amazon has Thursday Night Football and Apple has MLS and Friday Night Baseball, these streaming platforms are getting into the live sports business as a way to grow their subscriber base. Obviously, sports are very resonant with a specific demographic of people who love you know their content. And the NBA is one of the most tech- savvy, forward-thinking, cutting-edge leagues with a very young fan base. They already have a $1.5 billion streaming deal with Tencent to stream games in China. So this is like a natural progression for them. And on the heels of Amazon doing their Thursday Night Football deal, which is essentially $10 billion for 10 years or $11 billion for 11 years, NBA, similarly, I think they think the bidding is going to start at $1 billion for this package of games. And their rights deals are coming up in 2024, 2025. So this would be a carve out from that. And their plan, I guess their goal is to triple their rights fees from, I think they're getting 2.6 billion now per year from Disney, ESPN, and TNT. And I guess the goal would be to get something like 7 billion a year in the next deal. And this would be a piece of that. So maybe a billion from a streaming partner and six billion from your cable partners. Seems like they're just, look, the value of this is going to go up by 2025. We'd ideally like an Apple or Amazon or Disney to come in and just like raise that valuation for us, right? Is it kind of like you're creating that demand early on and and setting yourself up? Because it's two years from now that that cycle comes up. Yeah, so I don't know what their... Right. And I work on rights deals all the time and and do sorts of like quasi-exclusive or co-exclusive or exclusive rights deals for sports. You know, I represent a lot of clients in the sports space and the value of their content has really never been higher. But it's interesting, the NBA in the past, prior to their current cycle of deals, most sports were on broadcast, right? Like NFL and NBA were on broadcast on NBC and NFL was on CBS and Fox. And the NBA kind of ushered in this era of doing deals on cable because they were getting not only ad revenue, but they were also getting subscriber fees. So the NBA brought most of their product to ESPN and TNT in the last cycle of deals. And now the future is streaming. So what they're going to do is like, we're going to keep our cable business, right? Because that's a huge chunk of revenue. But the next group of bidders are these tech companies like Apple, Amazon, Google, with essentially unlimited funds. And they're willing to pay a lot to get these rights because they need to launch their product, right? So 
Apple already has MLS. They did a two and a half billion dollar deal for 10 years for MLS rights. They pay MLB 85 million a year for Friday night baseball. Like we said, Amazon does a billion dollars a year for Thursday night football. So, you know, Google maybe needs to make a play for NBA or maybe Amazon or Apple. It's going to be a bidding war, right? And so it's interesting though, because it's like, okay, in 2020, 2021, uh, or especially in 2021, you know, these companies were like skyrocketing from like a market cap perspective. 2022, you know, we're, we're approaching the end year of 2022. Tech companies have gotten like absolutely smashed. And that includes Disney as well. And I wonder, does that affect their buying power? I guess it all depends. Like this is still a few years out from now. Well, these deals are so long, they span like multiple market cycles, right? So ESPN's lost 24% of its subscribers since its peak. In 2012, 100 million people in America, whether they watched it or not, paid for ESPN through their cable subscriptions. And now that's down to like 76 million. So the subscriber base has shrunk. The price has gone up and they also have ESPN Plus now. But in their minds, you have to spend to win the content wars. Just like you spend a ton on streaming or Netflix spends a ton on its own content. They need to have content to populate their networks and they have a bunch of networks now and they launched, we'll transition into this, they launched more networks to carry college sports. Like they have the Longhorn Network, which is focused on the University of Texas. They have the ACC Network, the SEC Network. And so this proliferation of networks means that they're able to charge a little bit more money per person, even though the subscriber base is shrinking, they're still getting more money. I was recently at a a reunion type thing at the school I went to, University of Virginia, and I was talking to one of my friends there, and he was saying, hey, you should watch Welcome to Wrexham because we were talking about just sports in general and and, and sports docs. And Welcome to Wrexham is the story of Ryan Reynolds and Rob uh, McElhenney from Always Sunny buying a Welsh football club. And it's a docuseries, and I opened it up, and it's funny because it's FX but it streams on Hulu, but it it would open it up in ESPN. In my head, I was like, oh, what an interesting place to like have this show on. And it makes perfect sense because it's well, like- Well, all of those things are owned by Disney. I know, I know. But it was funny that it was like, I was watching it in the ESPN app and I didn't know if that had anything to do with, hey, like we don't only do sports, we do sports. Like there's more sports stocks and there's more stuff outside, right? When the pandemic hit, you know, they've had 30 for 30. They had the last dance. ESPN- it's not only live sports, right? Actually, their ancillary content, their shoulder programming is most of the hours on the network is like these talking heads and recap shows, highlight shows, behind the scenes. So it's like the hours that the live games are occurring is what they sort of sell to people on their, you know, on a monthly basis. But most of what fills up the programming is sort of like analysis and deeper dives. I thought the other interesting thing was there are 20 episodes and I was like, oh, normally these docuseries are like eight, nine, 10 episodes. There is 20. And I was like, okay, like that's a lot. Like that's a lot for like a docuseries. But um, I was, I mean, just generally excited because I was like, okay, great. A lot of good content here. I actually want more of this because, you know, I, I really like that. And we're just, I'm just noticing now with like Amazon pushing you know, the all, all or Nothing, which was the other football documentary, soccer doc, recently on Arsenal and then this. So it is kind of cool to see the other type of stuff that's being created content-wise for sports in addition. And in that vein, right, so college sports is super lucrative. And like I said, ESPN created the SEC Network and they have the ACC Network. Fox created the Big Ten Network. 
And so they have these dedicated networks. The primary focus is college football and basketball games. And so college sports has gotten very lucrative and those deals are negotiated by conferences. So conferences are basically collections of teams or schools that have divisions within them and they negotiate collectively like things like media rights deals and licensing deals for their brands. So the the king of the hill is the SEC. They just inked the deal with ESPN. The second is Big Ten, and they just did a seven-year deal with CBS, NBC, and Fox for $7 billion. So they get a billion dollars a year. ACC is probably the third in the pecking order because they have, you know, as you and I both went to ACC schools, they're maybe the best college basketball conference with Duke, UVA, UNC, NC State. And they also have Clemson and some former football powerhouses like Miami and Florida State. And then the Big 12, who just announced, they just did a deal with ESPN and Fox Sports, and they're getting $2.28 billion. Their prior deal was $220 million a year. This next six-year deal is going to average around $380 million a year, which is about $32 million per school. And it's really important for them because they just lost their two elite programs, right. Texas right. and Oklahoma are jumping to the SEC in 2024 to get the bigger payday. How does that work? Like, how does that happen? These colleges, universities have been jumping from conference to conference because the SEC, so basically the SEC, think of it as like the Jupiter, right? They have this huge gravitational pull. They have Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, Georgia, and they've been basically winning the national championship in college football for the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years. So they command the biggest audience and they had a huge deal with CBS and they have a big deal with ESPN as well. And so their member schools get the biggest check from TV money every year. And so conversations among athletic directors are like, hey, you know, if you're in an SEC, you bring your fan base, the pie gets bigger for all our schools and then you get a bigger check. So if you're getting $20 million a year from being in the Big 12 and you can get 85 million a year to be in the SEC, I mean, you're going to make the move and the schools have to pay like penalty fees to the conferences to change. But that's basically it. It's a cost of doing business. So school like Texas, Oklahoma, these are huge programs with national fan bases and they can go anywhere they kind of want. The same thing happened with it used to be based on geographic lines, but the Pac-12 recently lost USC and UCLA who are going to join the Big Ten because I said the Big Ten just did their deal where they get a billion dollars a year. So the difference that the schools are getting between what they were getting in the Pac-12 and what they're going to get in the Big Ten is like three or four X. There's no way to keep the schools in state. Now, Gavin Newsom is actually trying to overturn UCLA leaving because it gets part of its funding from the state. But it's big business now. And the way things are going, some people think there's going to be like one or two major conferences or the resource disparity is going to be too great to have a competitive balance. But right now, you know, it's good to be in the SEC Big Ten. But, you know, these power conferences have a lot of money and they're negotiating very lucrative deals. And I think the fact that the Big 12 was able to get an extension and an increase in their rights fee was a coup for them. Brett Yormark led the negotiations and he worked with IMG Media and Endeavor to sort of get this deal done early. They were in a precarious spot because, like I said, they lost their two biggest schools and they added four new schools. They added BYU, Cincinnati, Houston and UCF, which are great, but they're not on the level of Texas and Oklahoma. And so for like a Texas and Oklahoma, more money in the pocket for the athletic programs 
at those schools, right? Essentially, that's where the money goes. Essentially. I mean, I guess it goes to coaches' salaries and facilities and scholarships and whatever else. But, you know, more money is always a good thing for schools. More money is like, hey, we attract the best players, et cetera. Um, we continue being really good. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these schools at, at the top of the food chain are like NFL programs. Like, you look at their facilities – you know, the, the nutrition, the conditioning, the weight rooms, the practice facilities. It's just like, you know, 100,000 people are going every weekend. It, it really is like there's no difference. I mean, there is a difference, obviously, but it's not that big. And there's a school like Alabama and Georgia where half their players are playing in the NFL, it seems. Um, it's just kind of like a, a feeder program. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, we were at a UVA game um, over the weekend. It was UVA, UNC. And uh, I was with, you know, all my buddies who are all alumni. One of my best friends was in the football program. And, um, yeah, I think it sits, like, around 60,000, 65,000 people. And, like, when we got there, it was, like, almost – it was, like, empty. There was, like, not many people. We were really surprised. And then it slowly filled up, but it was not – it was not packed. And I got to imagine if we were at another school where the programs are just, you know, and and they're winning constantly, it's, like, you're talking – Stadiums that fill 80,000 and more, I would assume. 100,000, probably yeah. packed every single time. Crazy. Every Yeah, every Saturday. Yeah. Like Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, like Big Ten schools, I think, SEC schools. Part of it is like a huge part of the culture wherever they're based. Interesting. Very interesting. Sports rights are going to keep getting more valuable, it seems. And who knows where this all ends up, but we'll keep telling you about it. <laughs> All right, Paul, thanks for the breakdown. That's our show for this week, folks. Make sure you're subscribed to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Instagram at Better Call Paul the Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Meshlakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera, Marco Siler Gonzalez, and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week and see you soon. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>